Let's all stand. Pastor Pam is roaming the building with uh, with Pastor Stanley, and they're going to have a great time with the youth and the children. Here's an offering envelope. Bill, can you sum up in three or four minutes uh, the conference call? Uh, you can be thinking about that. And uh, Jerry and Karen, why don't you come on down here if you want to? They just got back from Haiti. Give them a hand as they come. And working in the orphanage there with their son-in-law and their and their daughter and <clears throat> let's pray I, I forgot to pray earlier for uh, a lady she she has attended our church but she hasn't been here for a long time but she's in intensive care joy ray i don't i don't know her i don't believe but father we lift up joy and uh, you know more about this than we do. We pray healing. We pray that you're there with her. And we pray that in the name of Jesus, we rebuke sickness, disease, and whatever she's going through in her body. We thank you for the medical personnel that are on the scene. And thank you that she will live and not die. She will fulfill your plan and your purpose upon this earth in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said? Well, let's say it. The Word of God, Word of God. is truth. If I live the word, I will be blessed. And if I don't, I won't. It's just that simple. Tell that person next to you, you look like you can get it. You can get it. You can be seated. Jerry and Karen, just share whatever. Oh, golly. Uh, this was sort of a different kind of a trip. We knew that we were supposed to be there because... Uh, the week before we left, everything you could imagine came against us to keep us from going. Uh, we got word the day we left that we may not be able to visit the orphanage because there was, uh, well, last Sunday was their national elections for president and all that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of civil unrest, and they thought it might be too dangerous for us to go into the village where this orphanage is located. And so uh, we got there on Saturday. We went out to a village and just uh, all you got to do is show up on a playground and there'll be a million kids come out. So we got a chance to meet a bunch of kids we couldn't talk to, really, and uh, play games with them and stuff. And um, what did we do on Sunday? Went to church. Well, yeah. <laughs> we went to church. Church services down were you, there. Were you two together? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Occasionally. My memory is not always with me, but... Uh, uh, it's interesting to go to a service that's very much like what we have right here in our church in a language you don't understand. Uh, we do know the songs, but they have different words down there, but it, that was very interesting. Got a chance to pray for a man, uh, who, uh, a crippled man, a lame man, if you would. It's sort of, in my mind, related to the story about Peter uh, telling the man to get up and walk. And I got an opportunity to pray with this man, even though... I don't know. Well, I had a translator, so he, he did know what I was praying for him. And we met him again a day or two later and just a, a bond between us. I don't know what God's going to use with that for, but I felt like that was something I needed to do. And then on Monday morning, uh, we went out with uh, another team and painted a house uh, inside and out. Uh, we didn't get to finish it that day, but we got a lot of it painted. And... Uh, Monday at noon, when we went back in for lunch, we, we were told that they had had a meeting with the people that were causing problems in the village where the orphanage is, and they were going to allow us to go in. Nobody else, just us. So we, we were able to spend uh, two and a half days with the kids we went to see, and 
we're currently trying to assess all the needs for that orphanage and possibly some of the village, too. And, and uh, next trip, um, maybe we'll be able to meet some of those needs. So do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, that first day, Saturday, that we were there, we the, we went out to this village and uh, played with the children. But there was one little boy who was basically an orphan. His grandpa was supposed to be watching him, but he worked and uh, was never home. So the village people kind of took care of him, but he told us through the translator that he hadn't eaten all day. And, you know, his little tummy was big, like he was, you know, starving. And it was just so hard to leave him, but we did make arrangements with Mission of Hope that they would come back into the village and uh, either put him in a, a you know home where someone would care for him. He was only like three or four. He's just a little guy, and uh, so we felt you know it was hard to leave him, but it was good to know that somebody was going to watch out for him. But uh, it is amazing. The playground was totally empty when we got there. As soon as we walked out there, they just all came like a flock of birds. So they're just kids are kids. You don't have to know their language. They just they love to be held and and played with. And it was. And then we had an opportunity to pray with a couple of women and uh, prayed for their healing. So that was. It was all really exciting and it's amazing that 20 people could paint a whole house. I mean, these homes aren't huge, but they're block. And we painted inside and out. And it was just, I couldn't believe it. And in an hour. I mean, it was just really fast. So, <laughs> uh, Something that sort of really got on my heart while we were down there. Coming home, we had probably the most exciting ride you can imagine in an automobile. Uh, we were through, all, I think, all the back streets of Port-au-Prince. And the, th uh, the thing that really gets your heart is the fact that the devastation, the poverty, the squalor that these poor people live in is just unbelievable. They have no jobs, very few ways of actually supporting themselves. I don't know how they do it. But I was very impressed that all along these back roads that we took, uh, our drivers, I, I think, were a little bit afraid for our safety. but. Um, Kids in school uniforms all over the place going to school. And even in spite of their poverty and their lack of all kinds of stuff, they're getting their kids in school and getting them educated. And, uh, well, a great deal of them. Uniforms are very expensive down there. Well, school is very expensive. Yeah. 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 Praise God. Well, Father, we thank you for the call that Jerry and Karen have and their daughter and their son-in-law that to Haiti and to Mission of Hope. And we just pray for all the precious children in Haiti, especially the Mission of Hope. We know that you love the orphans of the world. You love everyone in the world, but there's a special place in your heart, Lord, we know the children have. Thank you for people to come alongside them to help them. Thank you for financial blessings to fall upon them so they could expand that orphanage in Jesus' name. We all said, give them a hand. Give them. If you're a, a grandparent, you might want to go there. They love grandpa and grandmas. <laughs> yeah. Give them a hand as they go. Bill, can you do it in two or three minutes or not? Bill, as uh, part of our, our church is involved very heavily. Come on up here, Bill, with Christians United for Israel. And I don't know 
where you stand with the input of information that you have. But you need current manna flowing from the throne room of God and from the world to know what's going on in the world so you know how to pray, what to bind, and what to lose. We have an administration in this country that is not friendly with Israel. That's a fact. That's not judgment. That is a fact. We have a nation that is being surrounded by the enemy. And we have things that are going on over there right now that are certainly detrimental to the nation of Israel. We pray for the peace of Israel. We bind every voice that tries to stand against Israel and against what God has called Israel to be over there, including administrative people. Uh, but we, there was a conference call just recently. And if you can just sum it up in two or three um, minutes here, which I know that's going to be very difficult for you to do. but I didn't have that much to write down. <laughs> uh, I had the opportunity to fill in uh, for the pastor while he was being interviewed uh, with Pastor Stanley uh, on this conference call with this uh, guy from uh, CFI headquarters, Malcolm, I can't think of his last name. He had just returned from a meeting with the, I guess they call him the information minister of the nation of Israel. And uh, he said what they're facing over there, of course, and recently you see these news things about these attacks, but worse than the attacks is the way they're being reported because the news media has become the propaganda machine for this Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the uh, Palestinian organization. And whatever he says is what they're reporting, not the facts. So if you're watching mainstream television or radio and you're hearing these reports about how merciless the uh, Israelis are, you aren't hearing much of anything. There was a three-year-old child injured, and they blamed it all on the Israelis. What they forgot to mention was that the mother was stabbing Israeli people at the bus stop with a three-year-old child with her. And when they shot her, the child was injured, wasn't killed, but was injured. So that's the sort of thing that's going on. The second thing he mentioned is that there are many concerns by the other uh, more conservative, I guess you would call them, Arab nations, such as Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, who really are beginning to realize that Israel is the only stabilizing force in the entire Middle East. And now they are beginning to wane away from all the other organizations and nations there and begin to back and support Israel in this situation because they're afraid of ISIS and this Muslim Brotherhood stuff that's going on over there that could very well upset the apple cart for all of their nations. So now they're beginning to pull away from, uh, let's say, their Arab brothers and siding with Israel in these situations. Hopefully that will begin to turn the tide as this becomes more and more prevalent. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Give Bill a hand. Let's pray for the nation of Israel. And, Father, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the nation of Israel. Lord, we know that The center of your world comes from Jerusalem, and we pray for the peace there, Lord. We pray that that somehow, some way, we know that you are there with all of the people, and we thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. And we all said amen. Okay, if you got your Bibles, we're going to start in the book of James chapter 4. We're going to make sure that we have the right group here tonight. As I said, Pastor uh, Stanley will be over with our youth the first half of the service, over with the children the second half of the service. I have some great news for you. Uh, most of you were here Sunday, 
and you know that in a, about a two-week time frame, we, we just felt a release to go ahead and to try to help Pastor Stanley build a home in the South Sudan. He lives in a one-room mud hut, and we needed $50,000. The exchange rate was just right to do it because the home had been eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars $100,000. And he, and as I say, he lives in that one room mud hut. And in that two week period of time, $50,000 has come in. I mean, we need to give the Lord a hand. Now you might think, well, wait a minute. I need money too. Well, if you gave to that project, you're going to have that seed multiplied back to you, pressed down, shaken together. But then this happened too. I just, I, I, it just amazes me. I love the supernatural where you know you didn't have anything to do with it. God did it. The tractor broke down and needed a new starter assembly. And we didn't know what year the tractor was. And so we're looking all over for a starter assembly. And I thought, I, I, I misunderstood a guy. I called Tractor Supply, and, or somebody called for me, and they said that they have one. They have a starter assembly out there. They don't know if it'll fit that tractor. And I said, oh, great. How much is it? I said, $27.95. And I thought, $27.95? Doesn't matter whether it's the right one or not. We'll go buy it. So we, so I went out to buy it, and the guy said, $27.95? These things start at $350 and go up from there. And I thought, oh, that... That makes a little bit of a difference. So we finally tracked down where the tractor... That sounds funny, doesn't it? We finally tracked down where the tractor came from. And it was uh, Rushville, the guy who gave it to us. And we found the guy, and he said, I know exactly what you need for that. I've got a tractor supply company. And he said, I think I might even have one for you. And I said, well, how much does that cost? Yeah, about $300, $400. And so he called me back, and he said, I found it for you. How would you like me to give it to you? And I said, I think that would be just great. <laughs> Let's give the Lord a hand for that company. They, they gave us a brand-new uh, starter system for that tractor. So it was, it's, it's really great. When you do what God's called you to do, God will pay the bill. i tell you what. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's the key. Now, tonight, the message, we're going to start out in James chapter 4. I'm going to go re- rather quickly here. And I'm going to paraphrase this whole message in just a moment. But the strength of humility is the message. And humility is the key to promotion. Pride is the enemy to humility. And pride is a lack of humility, which was Lucifer's downfall. And if you understand and get a grip of this message, I believe it will change your life. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm going to proclaim this over all of you. Every single one of you in your past have fallen prey to pride, and you've gotten set free from it, only to go back in it again. And it's a constant fight that we will have. The way you get rid of pride in your life is to allow humility to consume your life. If you do that as a discipline in your life and let humility rule in your life, you will never fall prey to pride. So we don't need to show hands. Just turn to your neighbor and say, this message is for you. (laughs) Now, I want to give you this example before we get into the Scripture. I want you to know that my life in the past, hopefully not in the present, possibly in the future, has always been trying to get rid of pride. I know what it feels like. 
I know how it can consume me. I know how I can get into it. You have to be really careful. It'd be like that little donkey taking Jesus into Jerusalem. It would have been wrong for the donkey to take a a bow and think it was all about him, all of the applause. It was all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And many times we can move into it because we don't understand it because there is a spirit of pride in the world that comes from the spirit of the Antichrist. And if you understand that, it's the spirit. You don't go out to get dirty, but you can get dirty being in the world, so you take a shower. It's the same way in the realm of the spirit. The spirit of the Antichrist is everywhere. The spirit of pride is everywhere. You can watch it on television. You can see it in the White House. You can see it in the outhouse. You can see it anywhere you go. That was supposed to be a joke, by the way. But you can see it every single where place you go. All pride is an absence of humility. And, and I, I felt like the Lord showed me an example of some situations that I've ministered to over the years and in situations with people and all where they always thought they had the answer and they always thought that they were right and they always thought it ought to be this way and et cetera, et cetera. And years ago, we had the uh, uh, a We Care ministry in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was a ministry where people were just assigned, all you do is wander around. At that time, the church was about 8,000. All you do is wander around and love on people. That's your only assignment. Wander around and love on people. Thelma, you would have loved that assignment. That's all you did, hug people, love on people, and that's all you did. And uh, we, we had a lot of people in there, and we had a dress code. We had a dress code that, that the men would all wear a shirt and tie, and because of the nature of the church we were, sometimes people couldn't afford it, so we would buy it for them. And then the same thing for the ladies. They had a dress code, but if, code, but if we had somebody in there that couldn't afford it, we bought the clothing for them. So everything was all right. And one day the leader of that came to me. And he said, uh, she said, Bill, we, we got a problem here. We got a person that they won't wear, uh, they won't wear a shirt and tie. And I said, well, that's all right. You talk to them. You take care of it. We have a dress code. They need to, they need to follow the dress code. And, uh, and, he, and he said, no, he, I'd tried that. And, and they said, no, they weren't going to do it. And I said, well, then remove them from the ministry. And this person had a heart of compassion. How many of you got a heart of compassion? Don't let it lead you. Use it, but don't let it lead you. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Because sometimes you can enable people with a heart of compassion. And uh, so this guy, his name is Daryl Burdick. He's in heaven right now, but he's the sweetest guy. And uh, and, and I said, Daryl, you need to go back there and tell them you're going to do it our way or they're not going to be involved. And he said, I can't do that. Would you do that? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I, I, I called the guy in. The guy came in. He said, listen, I don't feel that I should have to wear a tie. And I said, okay, fine, tell me why. And he said, Jesus didn't wear a tie. And I said, I don't even think they had ties back then. And, uh, and he said, well, Jesus wouldn't make me wear a tie. And I said, well, I'm going to make you wear a tie. He said, I'm not going to wear a tie. And that Jesus wouldn't talk to me like you did because I was very firm. I said, you're probably right. I probably was a little bit too firm. I said, but you're right. Maybe, maybe Jesus wouldn't make you wear a tie, but I'm going to make you wear a tie if you want to be involved in, the, in a care group ministry. And, uh, and he said, he said uh, well, I will not wear a tie. And I said, okay, you don't have to wear a tie. He said, I don't. I said, no, you don't have to wear a tie. He said, can I be involved in the We Care ministry? I said, oh, no. <laughs> he just removed you right now from the We Care ministry. And he said, you can't do that. God would not do that to me. I said, I don't know what God would do to you or not, but I know what I just did to you. Well, I've removed you from the ministry. Well, he got really upset with me and left the ministry. 
attended the church some, but left the ministry some. I didn't think anything about it. But how many of you realize that strife is deadly and that anybody that disagrees with authority creates strife? Now, there are times when people don't like the authority. That's fine. You remove yourself from the authority. But you never allow strife to breed because it is deadly and it will affect everything. And so the guy was gone for several months. And one day I saw him at church and he said, could I talk to you? And I said, sure. And he said, you know, I have been out on the desert and I have been dying. I said, oh, you have? He said, yes. He said, God told me that I was disrespectful, that I was wrong, that I was prideful, that I was full of arrogance, and that I needed to come back and repent, and that you were right when you told me what you told me. I said, really? He said, yeah. And he said, I just want you to know that I'm sorry. I said, well, I accept your apology. He said, okay. And he turned around and he started to walk off. And I said, well, wait a minute. He turned around and said, what? I said, aren't you going to get involved in the We Care ministry? He said, do you still want me? And I said, I never didn't want you. We always wanted you. Turn to your name and tell him, God has a plan for your life. Now, he'll never change the plan, but he will not promote you to where he wants you to go to the next level unless he sees the level of humility in you. Now, this is what this is for, and I, I just saw this today, and I thought, oh, God, that is really, really good. The Word of God says that he will keep down the proud, but he will, cut, he will lift up. Uh, here, let me, let me read it to you because I'm starting to say it wrong. In James chapter 4, verse 5, do you not think the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, but he who gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. This is all about humility. We say the scripture a lot, but it's about humility. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Everybody say that. He will lift me up. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him he'll lift you up. How many would you say you have sometimes a little bit of a challenge being humble, no matter what the situation is? Now, this is what I saw. I saw, I saw these two rocks, and this represents pride in people's lives. And there are a lot of people that have gifts and talents from God, and God wants to promote them. But because of pride in their life, they never seem to get promoted, even though they know that they have gifts and talents from God. Everybody raise your hand and say this. I have gifts and talents from God. And God wants to use them to promote you no matter where you are. No different than Joseph in captivity. He was promoted in captivity because he was humble and they saw the gifting that he had. Now, this is what happens to people that have pride. They go to the bottom, and God does not lift them up because he realizes that pride is dangerous 
It is full of strife, and it is going to cause disaster down the road. I have a friend who had a church that just skyrocketed many years ago. And because of some issues that he had in his life that we talked about, that he felt that he didn't need to resolve them, he ended up losing his church, almost losing his marriage, is in a process of restoration right now because there was something in his life that was missing. It was humility. And the humility that he should have yielded to, which comes from Jesus, he did not yield to. The pride would lead and guide him, and he did things that he never should have done. Everybody say this. Pride is deadly. You, it's everywhere in the world, and you can drift into it so quickly and not even know you have it. But on the other hand, if you're walking with humility, it doesn't matter. Don't want to use my watch hand here. It doesn't matter what happens in the world. The Word of God says that God will do what? He will lift up the humble. It doesn't matter how far you are down. Oh, my goodness. Oh, there weren't all my notes. How far you are down in that water. By the way, those are ping pong balls. Would somebody bring me a towel? Would, uh, it doesn't matter how far down you are in that water. You, these, you always are going to be lifted up by the, by the Lord. Turn to your name and tell them the Lord's going to lift you up. Now, let me give you an example of this. I have made one royal mess up here. Glory to God. Now, let me give you an example of this. In, in, uh, th- this is the word humility. To make low, to lower oneself, it describes a person who is devoid of all arrogance and self-exaltation, a person who is willingly submitted to God and His will. Now, how many of you would say, that's your heart's desire? And how many of you would say, that doesn't always happen because of pride and because of the things? Did somebody go get me a towel? Oh, thank you, Shane. Glory to God. I have a real mess up here. Now, I'll tell you what, just throw it on this side because i got to see my notes, and my notes are very quickly becoming waterlogged. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, and my Bible is becoming waterlogged. Hallelujah. Now, I want to give you some scriptures here that will show you this. In 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, <clears throat> we're going to center right here at the bottom. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Very similar to James chapter 4. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 18. This is Jesus when he was using a child as an example. And in Matthew chapter 18... Jesus, using this child, said, therefore, he was using the child as an example about who would be greatest in the kingdom of God. And James, or Matthew chapter 18, verse 4 said, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of God. What is he talking about? He's talking about humility. Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. In Matthew chapter 23, 11 and 12, again, Jesus said, who is greatest among you shall be your servant. 
And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So in other words, God is going to lift you up. How many of you would know that from time to time you have a challenge with humility and pride getting mixed up? And what happens is it is so subtle that you can't even realize it. You see something that maybe isn't quite the way you think it should be, so you're critical of it, and you begin to see things the way maybe the enemy wants you to see to bring confusion or to bring situations into the into play there where there's division and where the things that aren't going the way they should be. And what happens is you're really drifting away from a humble spirit, and you're dealing into a little bit of a haughty spirit. Now, if you ever study Lucifer, Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. Apparently, he was good at what he did, or God wouldn't have had him leading worship. But there was a point in time when Lucifer began to become losing the humility, losing the anointing that God had upon him, and starting to take for himself the way that he thought would be something else that he could introduce to do. And before long, dissension came in the heavenlies. That is happening today in the world and with many people, even in the body of Christ. God wants to exalt us. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God wants to exalt you. God wants us to be the, the, the greatest people and, and employed and in businesses and starting businesses, but it's going to take a meekness and a humility so that we don't latch on to the things that the devil is trying to do. The prince of the airwaves in this world, the spirit of the Antichrist is moving everywhere. And if we're not careful, we can drift off into things that we don't want to drift onto. Now, Pride, this is the definition of pride. The definition of pride is haughtiness, arrogance, ostentatious pride bordering on insolence and disdainful attitude toward others, superiority of attitude. How many of you uh, have seen recently the situation where the, leave that up there, if you would, where the police officer went into a classroom, uh, just broke yesterday, and the police officer uh, took the girl out of her, took the girl with the chair over. How many of you saw that? Okay. I think all of us would say, I probably would not have handled it that way. I probably wouldn't have gone in and did that. That's not for us to decide. That was for the police officer to decide. But I was watching a commentator on on the news, and uh, and the commentator said this, well, I'm a little bit older than the rest of you, but I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lawsuit now. The parents are probably going to so- sue the police officer, and, the, and then they're going to sue the school, and they're going to sue everybody else, and there's going to be all sorts of money involved. But he said, I'll tell you what would happen if it had been me in school. First of all, they drug me down to the principal's office because I didn't do what they told me, and they'd have spanked me. And then they'd have sent me home, my parents would have spanked me. And then I thought, you know what, I'm getting tired of being spanked. I'm going to do whatever they tell me. Can you see in the world today there is an arrogant spirit of, I don't care what you say, we have, now give me a little grace here, we have an arrogant spirit coming from leadership in our country.
trying to make enforcement people, whether it be law enforcement or any type of enforcement, that they are the bad guys and we're undermining authority all over this nation in our schools, in our colleges, in our communities, and we're taking a stand against people being submitted to authority and being humble to whatever is told them to do. The situation in that room, and I don't want to dwell on this, but the situation that developed as I followed it, because my first reaction was the same thing. Why would you treat a student like that? Well, the student had a cell phone. Some of you might know the story, and they told the student to get rid of the cell phone. The student wouldn't do it, and the student wouldn't cooperate, would not obey the teacher. The student wouldn't obey the principal. The student wouldn't obey the police officer. What do you do if a society, I'm not talking about a student, that's just a situation in one case, but what do you do with a society that drifts away from obedience to authority? There's no question. You move toward anarchy. You move toward people who say, hey, I don't care what you say, I'm not going to do it. What would happen in our country today, and in foreign countries, I've seen this happen. Uh, what would happen in our country today if everybody said, I really could care less about the stoplights. I could really care less about a green light. I'm going to go whenever I want to go because there aren't that many police officers around to stop me. That is a true statement. The police officers, if, if all of us decided to run red lights, all of us decided to do whatever we wanted, the police officers couldn't get us all. We could do whatever we wanted. And, and, but what would you have? You would have anarchy. You would have uh, crashes. You would have all sorts of things. The spirit of the Antichrist would love that because what happens is people then become arrogant and they say, look, I'm going to do it my way. Lucifer did not want to obey God. Right now in our society with Planned Parenthood, with I, I, don't, I, I told Pam I'm really praying about this uh, because I'm not going to ask for show of hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But in a room this size, probably because of this church and what we preach and what you read and what you believe in your spirit, probably 70, 80% of you believe that Planned Parenthood ought to be disbanded. Uh, 20% of you might say, "Ah, I think they do some good. Uh, Okay, that's fine. I told Pam, I said, people need information. We have video footage now showing babies cut apart for profit to sell. The footage is available. We have it. Uh, Right now there's footage that is coming very shortly showing babies being ground in garbage disposals. Right now you will see that in, I don't know that you'll see it because I asked my wife, I said, honey, I think we ought to show it. How to preserve babies' heads so they can sell them for the brain matter. This is happening in an arrogant, self-centered nation that we used to call America. We still call it America, but it is not the country that most of us were raised in. I realize I'm older than a lot of you, but how many of you realize the country that you're living in today is not the country you were raised in? And when we hear things from 
the White House or from the Congress or from other places about all of the good that demonic forces are doing, we say, no, that's what happens in the end times. You call good bad and bad good. No, we don't change what we call because we're humbled before the hand of Almighty God. We're not going to move the way of the world. We're going to stay humbled before the hand of Almighty God, and we're going to proclaim what God says. Turn to your neighbor because it's getting quiet in here and tell We're going to say what God says. Now, if I can find my scriptures here, I have a sheet of paper that I can't even hold up to you because it is absolutely inundated with water. But in Psalms chapter 113, I, I know when I first got saved, and I'm just, I'm just, well, I'm always trying to be honest with you. But when I first got saved, I thought God was really, really blessed because I had a lot of experience. I, <laughs> I was, I'm serious. I was in the business world. I, I just, I, I, God, I'm your man. And so God spoke to me in my spirit and he said, I want you to go to uh, Tulsa where you find a meaning for your life. And I thought, what am I going to do in Tulsa? Oral Roberts is building the city of faith. And he believes that that is going to impact the entire world. And they surely need somebody like me who is talented in human resource. I am about to go to the top of the city of faith. And so when we got out to Tulsa, um, <clears throat> Pam and I had just gotten married and, and, uh, she realized that I had a lot of pride in me. I didn't realize it. I just thought I had as God's man because I had just gotten saved. And I remember going down to the personnel office and they said, well, I'm sorry, you'll have to fill out these forms. And uh, then you'll have to have some interviews right here. And I remember telling my wife, oh, honey, God will get me up to the top floor to the man in charge. And, uh, and believe it or not, through manipulation on my part, I ended up, did, I did fill out a form, but I ended up getting to the top floor, talking to the man in charge. The only problem was he wasn't impressed with me at all. I was impressed with me, but he wasn't impressed with me. And I never did get the job that I wanted. But God had to have me out there for about a year to deprogram me from all of the abilities I thought I had. Now, I know it sounds funny, but when I got saved, I really thought, God... You got somebody here. I'm serious. And I remember saying, God, I got a scripture. John 14, 14. I want Lincoln Continental as I help you. Because I'm going to look good in that Lincoln Continental. I am not making this up for humor. That is exactly how I felt. And when I went to Tulsa, I starved. And I went from one challenge to another challenge, and I begin to wonder, where is this God of abundance? He certainly doesn't seem to live here in Tulsa, yet a lot of these other people are really doing well. They are really thriving. We are. And bit by bit, he began to take and show me those things in my life that I thought were gifts, that were hindrances, because I hadn't yielded and humbled myself before the hand of Almighty God. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Now, if you're not careful, you'll fall into the same thing. You'll think that you are somebody that you're not because God wants you to be who he wants you to be, not who you think you should be. And what happens to a lot of people 
what I just described here uh, about pride, haughty, arrogant, ostentatious, pride boarding on insolence, disdainful attitude toward others. Or did I even give you pride? Yeah, I did. Disdainful attitude toward others, superiority of attitude, always got a better way. Now, let's look at what the Word of God has to say about pride and about humility. In Psalms uh, chapter, uh, it's uh, Psalms 113, it is... I'm sorry, 113, verse 4 through 6. The Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. Who humbles Himself to behold those things? My Bible says it's God. Then in Proverbs chapter 18, now you might wonder, why are we doing all of this about humility? A lot of people today, financial debt, their problem is not their job. Their problem is humility. Their problem is they haven't been promoted because they're not humble to the authorities and the people around them. They are looking at their abilities And they're looking at them versus looking at what God wants to do through them. That makes sense to you? Now, here we go. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. It says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. What is before honor? Humility. What is before honor? Humility. What is before honor? What about me? 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 Not about you. Not about you. Not about you. It's all about God. All about God. All about God. Had a man tell me one time that I don't think I'm receiving the honor that I have due. I said, it's because of pride in your life. If you get rid of the pride and you're not concerned about the honor, The honor will come upon you and overtake you. If you're seeking honor, you have joined with Lucifer, and you will be destroyed from what God has called you to be. Now, there are a lot of people who don't look like they're destroyed, but someday every single one of us are going to stand before God. It's my own personal opinion. I believe the account that we will give is not what we accomplished based on what we thought. I believe that God is just going to ask, what did you do with what I called you to do? I believe that's what you're going to be responsible for. What did you do with what I told you to do? There are going to be a whole lot of people who say, well, God, I just didn't know what you called me to do. And God knows your heart. God say, you know what I called you to do, and you didn't do it. You didn't follow after me. And there are many times when we will attempt to do things and it will seem like it will fail. And it's a test of God to see, will we persevere? Will we go on through? Will we move on through this situation, this circumstance? When we were, once God got a hold of me out there, and not only did he humble me, I mean, he did humble me, but it's like it reached the point in my life when I would just sit and cry before God. I say, God, I don't know what to do. I do not know what to do. And it was as if God had this sense of humor, and I would hear, I do. And in the spirit, I would hear what to do. And the more I cried, 
And the more I laid my life down, I didn't realize it at the time, the more I cried and the more I laid my life down feeling like a total failure and I didn't know what to do, the more I heard. And it's like, this doesn't seem right. I feel like I'm having a nervous breakdown. I feel like I'm absolutely lost. And this voice is telling me what to do. I was learning how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, not figuring out what I want to do or how I want God to do it or all the things that everybody else is doing wrong and how they should be doing the way I think. But I learned to follow that inner voice. Now, I don't do a 100% good job at it, but I know this. I know it's the answer to success. Turn to the net, your neighbor and tell them it's your answer for success too. And if we get to that point, when we understand that our mortal enemy is pride, it'll set us free to be what God wants us to be. Before honor is humility. Proverbs 11.2, got these out of order, but Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. While I was still learning, and I am still learning, when we first got to Tulsa, uh, I was looking for a house. And I said, God, I, I want a big house. I want a house that will reflect what I'm going to be. And uh, I didn't have my Lincoln, but I thought if I ever got the Lincoln, it would look good at the big house. And, uh, and so I, I found this big house. And uh, it was uh, 3,000 square feet. Didn't have much money, 3,000 square feet. And it, it, was, it was a beautiful, beautiful home, beautiful home. And uh, so I thought, okay, God, here's what I'll do. Because I was telling God what I would do for him. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done that, have you? Have you if any of you ever know anybody that's told God what to do or what you'll do for him, could I see your hands? Uh, okay. And, and, and so I remember saying, God, you give me that house. That's going to be pretty good. I like that. And uh, I said, here's what I'll do, God. I said, I'll go to the owner of the house. And uh, or actually, it was a management firm. I'll go to the management firm that owns that house, and I'll just uh, tell them that I don't have the money to put down on the house for the down payment, and I don't really have the money for the first month's rent. But this was in October, and I said, but, uh, but I'll start in January paying you, so we just forget about, you know, the October, November, December. And uh, <laughs> so I, I'm sure God would shake his head a lot at me. But anyway, uh, so, so I went to this guy, and I talked to him. And he said, yes. Well, that's God. This is easy. This is easy serving God. You just tell him what you want. And now I'm living in John chapter 14, verse 14, I think. Full of pride, full of arrogance, haughty as heck. And, uh, and, but, but I've got a scripture to back my haughtiness up. Not really, but I've got this scripture. And John 14, 14, in case you don't know, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Man, am I serving the right guy. I've got things for you to do. And uh, so, so it, it, anyway, he gave me the house. Well, long story short, I ended up in court and had a whole heck of a lot of problem over that first house that I had out there in Tulsa because I couldn't pay it. it now, you, you're going to look at me and think, you got to be kidding me. $2,700 a month. I had no money, but I knew God got me in it because I didn't have to pay anything. Now, you're going to say... You really are dumber than you look. Well, that may be true, but at that time, I, I was telling God what I wanted. And then I realized God really wasn't interested in me telling him 
what I wanted. He was interested in me doing what he told me and releasing my faith in what he said. I believe that is a message that we always have to have before our very eyes. Are you pursuing what God told you? Are you pursuing what you think is the right thing to do? I know this. Pursuing what I think is irrelevant. Pursuing what God thinks is what's relevant. And then we go on here. Proverbs chapter 13 Verse number, boy, we're running out of time. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. I won't show a show of hands here, but I can tell you that most of the strife you've ever had in your life is because of pride. By pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is what? Wisdom. Proverbs 14, verse 3. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. (laughs) Oh, glory to God. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. Sometimes I sit back. Let's go to Proverbs 16. Sometimes I sit back and think of the things I did when I first got to Tulsa, and I just shake my head. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be humble, be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low. And that's what, and I'm not going to do this again, but that's what these two rocks represent, pride. They'll take you to the bottom fast. But humility, just crying out to God, God, I don't want to do, but what do you have to me? You will always be lifted up by God. He will never not lift you up. And I watched as that pride thing got dealt with by God in my life and how God began to lift me up and open door after door after door to the point that I told Pam one time, I said, if, this pe- if these people really knew my background, do you think they would really want me doing what I'm doing? Because I know who I am and what I've done, but they seem not to be aware of it. But it's like God will, will lift you up and lift you up and lift you up and lift you up no matter what the situation is if you're really leaning on the hand of the Lord and you get pride out of your life. Now, it says in in, uh, Proverbs 29, verse uh, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. That is such a powerful scripture. Now, in the time we have left, I've got two more scriptures here that are so important because I believe there are many people today that are struggling when it comes to employment, when it comes to finances, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to pursuing the thing that they have deep inside them, but they're not following it because they've got some things in their life that they need to get settled, and they need to get settled with the Lord. And that part of that is yielding to that humility. But in James, uh, excuse me, yeah, James chapter 3, if you have pride in your life, that means that you're self-seeking. It doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're self-seeking. And the Word of God says in James chapter 3, verse 16, For where there is envy 
and self-seeking, where they exist, there will be confusion and every evil thing are there. And I remember my early days in Tulsa. I used to be so envious, and I didn't even realize it, of other people who had really done so well and had finances and had homes and had situations and circumstances that were going so well. And, and it wasn't that I didn't want them to have it, but I was envious because I didn't have it. And what happens then is you don't realize it, that that's a person who is self-seeking. Anytime all of the other people are wrong and only you are right, you are a self-seeking person because you won't have time to be critical of other people. You won't have time to be haughty of other people if you're humbling yourself before the hand of Almighty God and say, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? You just pray for other people, but you don't judge other people. You're not envious of other people. Now, final scripture, and this is in the first John chapter two. <clears throat> in the first John chapter two, it says that everything that is in this world First John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but whoever does the will of God, that person is going to accomplish what God has. The will of God abides forever. Let's all stand to our feet. I I, I believe that this message, while it brings a lot of quietness into the room, I believe that this is a powerful message to take home and ask yourself, are you okay? Am I really okay? Am I doing what God has called me to do? In in Philippians two five says, let each of you. It's verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus came as the Son of God and totally humbled himself to the will of God. Every single one of you here today have a plan and a purpose that was orchestrated by God for your life. You're never too young or too old to fulfill the plan that God has for you. And if you will humble yourself and not latch on to the world system, our schools, most of them go in the way of the world system. Our colleges go in the way of the world system. What degree will pay the most money? What company will pay the most money and give me the most benefits? What company will give me the greatest retirement program? 
What trade should I go that makes the most money per hour? I don't know of any public schools other than Christian that say, write the vision that God has for you, pursue the vision God has for you, and it has nothing to do with money, it has nothing to do with retirement, it has everything to do with fulfilling God's plan on this earth, touching people for God, and someday, quicker than we all believe, we will stand before God. And I believe, my opinion, God will say, what did you do with what I called you to do? Would you bow your heads with me? There is a question I believe you need to ask yourself. This message is for every single person here. That I know. This message is for every single person, myself included, listening by DVD, listening on the Internet. But I believe you're going to have to answer a question, and we're going to pray in just a moment. But before we do, the most important question any of us ever need to answer is, do I know if I died this very day, I would be with Jesus in heaven? And if you're here tonight and you don't know the answer to that, maybe you're not sure, we need to settle that issue. You may be here and you're like a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. You know that you have drifted away from the things of God. I have good news for you. God loves you, but you need to come home. You need to come back to God. And while we're bowed in prayer, if I've described you and you say, Pastor, that's me, I, I know my life is not right with God. I'm going to ask you to slip your hand in the air. We're going to pray for you. We'll take just a moment. We'll wait. Anyone at all, you say, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. God loves you. God's got a great plan for you. Now, while we're still bowed in prayer, how many of you would say, this word was for me tonight? Can I see your hands? Now, Father, I thank you for every single person that's here tonight. Lord, there but for the grace of God, go each and every one of us. I pray that not one single person will leave here under condemnation. But, Lord, we will open ourselves and embrace the conviction of your spirit. Lord, in my life, I know it's a constant struggle. I feel it. I know the pull of the world and that subtle pull that is pride personified. And Lord, I thank you that tonight we will cast it off and that we'll not go back there and that when we feel it, we'll cast it off again and again and again. And that no matter how many times it tries to woo us, we will not receive it and we will not be self-centered people, but we will be Christ-centered people. Let's all make this confession. Lord, forgive me for times when I have strayed, when I've entertained strife, when I've entertained pride. Help me, Lord, to be humble. Help me, Lord, to stay humble. And Lord, help me to fulfill your plan, your purpose, 
your will. That's your plan. That's your purpose. Then let's give God a hand right now. We thank God 